Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. outside of Seattle canceled plans for students to dress in red, white, and blue to a Friday night football game because administrators feared the colors would be perceived as racially insensitive. Jim, are you listening to me? I heard you the first time. I heard you when you drove up. Yeah. A uh, high school, <laughs> they can, red, white, and blue, they're worried about it being perceived as racially insensitive. Predominantly white, Eastlake High played predominantly black, Rainier Beach on Friday, one day before the 20th anniversary of 9-11. Students at Eastlake plan to decorate themselves in patriotic colors to honor first responders and the Americans killed on that day. According to emails obtained by a local radio host, the principal at Eastlake told concerned parents the school nixed the plans because the colors could, quote, unintentionally cause offense to some who see it differently. Eastlake is 62% white, 22% Asian, 8% Hispanic, and 1% black. That's the demographics of that high school. Rainier Beach is 60% black, 24% Asian, 9% Hispanic, and 5% white. Patriotism is polarizing. It's defined now as an expression of white supremacy. It's defined now as support for Trump. How did we get here? And how did we get here so fast? 20 years ago, we allegedly rallied around the flag. We put our political, religious, and racial differences aside and united against a common enemy, the threat of terrorism. Or did we? Is the unity sparked by 9-11 just another example of fake news, of narrative subjugating fact? Okay. I'm beginning to believe so. September 11, 2001 did more to tear us apart than bring us together. September 11th will be scrawled across the tombstone of the United States of America. It's analogous to November 22nd, 1963, the day President Kennedy was assassinated in broad daylight on a Dallas street. Despite the best efforts of corporate media, sports leagues, and big tech to memorialize and commercialize 9-11 as a day of unity, its true impact on America is divisive. Remembrance of 9-11 is rooted in cynicism, skepticism, and distrust. 
It spawned conspiracy theories on the political right and left. From loose change, to Alex Jones's shouts of inside job, to Michael Moore's Fahrenheit 9-11, Americans were fed a justifiable smorgasbord of pessimism and bitterness. Just like the Lee Harvey Oswald lone assassin narrative, few Americans believe we've been told the full truth about what happened on September 11th. The pervasive cynicism that engulfed America eventually led to the hyper-political partisanship we have today. We quit believing in America. That's the real lesson of 9-11. It's an unlearned and or ignored lesson from that tragic day. Why do I say we quit believing? Because it's the only explanation for how easily we surrendered long-established privacy freedoms to protect ourselves from diabolical and dangerous men hiding in caves in Pakistan, Afghanistan, and Iraq. Only non-believers abandoned their beliefs as quickly as we did. The administrators running Eastlake High School outside of Seattle don't believe in America. That's why they think red, white, and blue in combination is potentially offensive and would rather cancel a harmless symbol of patriotism than risk offending a rival school immersed in critical racism theory. The administrators are no different from the men running the National Football League. The NFL kicked off its new season with the playing of the so-called Black National Anthem, Lift Every Voice and Sing. The NFL no longer believes in the United States of America. It symbolically supports the separate states of America. Trust is built on truth. It's not built on individual acts of American heroism. The CBS Magazine show, 60 Minutes, aired a one-hour tribute to the 343 New York firefighters who sacrificed their lives in service to the men and women trapped inside the World Trade Center towers. The tribute was powerful and emotionally evocative. It was not remotely restorative. America cannot recapture its unity without reclaiming its regard for truth. During the 60 Minutes broadcast, the surviving New York firefighters acknowledged their shock that the towers collapsed. It was an unprecedented event that no one anticipated. Host Scott Pelley offered a brief explanation why the three towers melted and caved in. My point is, remembrances of 9-11 re-raise questions more than they re-raise patriotism. The first responders in New York may one day may be, be remembered as the last American patriots, the last Americans en masse to enthusiastically and heroically answer President Kennedy's challenge to ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. Only the truth can save America. Unfortunately, we lack the capacity to recognize truth and the courage to accept it. Raiders defensive end Carl Nassib did not make history last night. Mm -hmm. He did make progress. Celebrated by corporate media as the NFL's first openly gay active player, the six-year defensive end made the biggest play on Monday Night Football. 
Midway through overtime, Nassib sacked Baltimore quarterback Lamar Jackson, causing a fumble. That allowed the Raiders to win a wildly entertaining game. I think it was 33-27 in overtime. In a game filled with Las Vegas scapegoats, Nassib was the unquestioned hero. He bailed out Raiders quarterback Derek Carr, who threw a late interception. Receiver Willie Sneed, Ball State product, pass went right through his hands that led to that interception. Right tackle Alex Leatherwood got a terrible uh, false start penalty on the one-yard line. And head coach John Gruden, who, you know, if you're going to blame the delay of game penalty uh, that made him eschew the field goal and end up scoring, that was on John Gruden. It wasn't his fault. He he, he just called the play. That wasn't his fault. It wasn't ready. It all falls on the head coach (laughs) at some point, Jimmy. It's just like, when you crack a bad joke, everybody gets mad at me. No, they don't. They just mad at you, things. period, from even having me here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Nassib's sack strip wasn't spectacular. He rolled around the left side of Baltimore's offensive line after a stunning defensive tackle, washed two Ravens uh, defensive linemen inside, freeing Nassib to blow past an overmatched running back. Nassib hit Jackson from behind, the ball popped out, and one of Nassib's teammates recovered it. The defensive play design had as much to do with the sack as Nassib. That's not said to diminish the effort or or Nassib's performance. Injuries forced Nassib into the playing rotation, and he delivered the most important play of the game. Hats off. Here's what I found odd, and potentially, Uncle Jimmy, Perhaps a sign of progress. Odd and a sign of progress. Nassib won the game, and ESPN, the worldwide leader in sports, didn't treat the moment like a moon landing, which is one big step for mankind. In fact, ESPN appeared to mostly ignore Nassib's sexuality. I watched ESPN's Peyton and Eli Manning's special broadcast of the game, I never heard the topic uh, broached among the Mannings or their guests. Although Charles Barkley wore a Nassib jersey on the broadcast, I asked friends who watched the normal Monday Night Football broadcast, and they said Steve Levy, Brian Greasy, and Louis Riddick did not dwell on Nassib's sexuality. Last night and Tuesday morning when I checked ESPN.com, Nassib was not prominently mentioned. This is incredibly odd to me. It appears ESPN went out of its way to downplay Nassib's sexuality. They went out of their way, and I, what, I, what? I'm trying to follow you. They went out of their way, way to downplay okay. instead of overplay. Let's think this through. The network that showed Michael Sam kissing his boyfriend on a 24-hour loop in 2014 mm-hmm. isn't leaning into NASA making a game-winning play on Monday Night Football. Sam, of course, was the University of Missouri defensive end, and the Rams selected on the final pl- final day of the final round of the draft in 2014. A year after Sam's draft kiss heard round the world or seen round the world, ESPN named long-retired former male Olympic decathlete Caitlyn Jenner the most courageous athlete of the year for telling the world she felt like a woman trapped in a male body. Just a few years ago, 
ESPN was gloating in media circles about its ability to turn the Gruden-led Monday Night Football broadcast into a shrine for diversity and inclusion. What's going on here? The first openly gay active NFL player decides the only professional football game on television and ESPN fails to brand the moment as history rivaling Hank Aaron's 715th home run? Something is right with this picture. I suspect it's Carl Nassif. Apparently, he legitimately has no interest in allowing the media to exploit his sexual desires. This is progress. Nassif wants to be judged as a football player, not by what arouses him sexually. I suspect Nassif and the Raiders asked ESPN to avoid making his sexuality part of the game narrative. Most people who, def- who define themselves by their sexuality, whether they're straight, gay, or bi, have little of value to offer the world beyond their sexual organs and identities. The hyper-focused or the hyper-promiscuous straight jock is intellectually and spiritually bankrupt. I do think ESPN underplayed NASA's big night. It's a positive, feel-good story. His teammates clearly don't care all that much about his sexuality. They celebrated his big play with the same enthusiasm as Derek Carr's game-winning touchdown pass. Nassib isn't the first gay player to be accepted inside an NFL locker room, nor is he the first to make the most important play in a huge game. There is value in Nassib sharing his sexuality. His success on pop culture's most masculine stage, the NFL, makes it less likely that young men who don't fit traditional masculinity standards will be ostracized and bullied. It's not an endorsement of homosexuality. It's an acknowledgement of necessary, healthy progress. Our society tolerates all sorts of sexual sin. It's a horrific mistake to single out one form of it for demonization while celebrating other forms that damage the nuclear family. The demonization and hostility cause a backlash that leads ESPN to give Caitlyn Jenner an award that Bruce actually won. You can't eat comfort food forever. And you think about me, all right. Trust me, (laughs) I've tried. Eventually it weighs you down, it clogs your arteries, makes your brain sluggish, and causes too many other complications to count. My favorite comfort food is chicken wings. Fried, roasted, baked, smoked, grilled, stir-fried, Cajun, dry rub, barbecue, lemon pepper, teriyaki, mild, medium, or hot. Or truffle. Mm. Or truffle. Or truffle, yeah. I'm the Patrick Henry of chicken wings. Give me wings or give me death. Or is that give me wings and give me death? I wonder which one it is. Uh, You know what America's comfort food is, Jim? Uh, Racism. No. Okay. Who are you, Bomani Jones now? (laughs) You trying to be a woke warrior? No. America's comfort food. I ain't Bomani Jones. I got a hairline. (laughs) America's comfort food is professional football. Mm, Okay. That's the NFL or college. The NFL is gloating over its week one ratings rebound from a year ago. Across its 16-game opening weekend, viewership was up 7% from the 2020 season. 
The games averaged 17.4 million viewers compared to 16.3 last year. It's the second highest average over the past five seasons. Football is back, baby! It's back! Yeah. That's the message Commissioner Roger Goodell once sounded by its media partners at CBS, Fox, NBC, ESPN, ABC, and Twitter. The NFL survived the Colin Kaepernick coup, the CTE head trauma narrative, the Black Lives Matter insurrection, the COVID chaos, and the Me Too feminist movement. Survived it all. The NFL is Muhammad Ali, the greatest of all time, the GOAT. I am the greatest. The league is using a rope-a-dope strategy, <laughs> absorbing punches from Kaepernick, the New York Times, social justice warriors, proponents of the matriarchy, and Big Pharma's vaccine dope dealers. You think the NFL is selling its soul, betraying its long-established values and long-supporting traditional sports fans? Goodell believes the league is doing what's necessary to survive. So ownership took a knee to satisfy the Kaepernick loyalists. The NFL softened its rules to appease the journalists who feigned concern over head trauma. The league immersed itself in Marxist social justice slogans to pacify the alphabet mafia. It adopted harsh pro-vax pro protocols to placate the pharmaceutical industrial complex. And Goodell's diversity and inclusion army has decorated its coaching staffs, officiating crews, and executive staffs with just enough women to satisfy the militant matriarchy. Goodell seeks peace through weakness. He's the anti-Caesar Trainius Hadrian, the Roman emperor who coined the phrase peace through strength. Okay, okay. Goodell has cut deals with all of football's enemies. He's bought, he's bought borrowed time. His enemies are executing a long march through the institutions of masculinity. The game's enemies know you can't sustain life on comfort food. Fried chicken and mashed potatoes spend a minute on your lips and cause your lifespan to dip. See what I did there? I saw that. Yeah, I saw dip, lip. Yeah, people say other people say hip. I said dip. All right, football's rebound is exaggerated. America is turning to its national pastime, seeking comfort and nostalgia. We want reminders of life of the life we knew before the great COVID and George Floyd reset. We've been trapped in our homes for 18 months, told to socially distance and avoid big crowds. Watching football and attending games are ways of rebelling against the elitist overlords in government and corporate media. We're kids who have been grounded for two weeks. We're embracing the behavior that got us in trouble in the first place. Watching football feels masculine, rebellious, and unifying. It's not, it's an old habit that's hard to break. It's an old song that doesn't tug at the heart the way it once did. In my 54 years of life, I've had four different all-time favorite songs. Oh boy. Cameos, 1978, Why Have I Lost You? You remember that? Huh, you don't remember one? Sing, sing a verse from <laughs> No. <laughs> that was replaced by Guy's 1991, Let's chill. Okay, you can sing that. Yep. Gotcha. From the first time I saw your face, <laughs> girl, I knew. My jam. 
Uh, that was replaced by Tech Nine's 2001. This rain got me a top hot fox with the Edwalks <laughs> and the Ewok slots. <laughs> this ring. And now it has that this ring has been recently replaced by Rance Allen's and Kirk Franklin's. Something about the name Jesus. Okay. That is my jam. I listen to that every morning. Uh, things that feel eternal rarely are. Our tastes change with our understanding of life. We move on. I still watch the NFL, but not with the same passion. I'm bothered by what the league represents. It's policies that pressure healthy young men to inject a vaccine that serves no purpose for them. That infuriates me. So does, play, so does the playing of a so-called black national anthem before games. Our ancestors, black and white, died so that we could unite under one flag and one anthem. The NFL is imposing segregation. It's also emasculating the game to please people who will never love or understand it. Pro football provides respites of comfort, but its popularity is fading. It's chasing an audience that wants to destroy the game. I'll get what pleasure I can from the game until I can find comfort someplace else. The Alphabet Mafia, it owns Joy Reid, the black MSNBC cultural overseer at the Rachel Maddow Plantation. Soldiers in the alternate lifestyle wing of the BLM LGBTQ plus Alphabet Mafia captured Joy Reid four years ago when a Twitter user unearthed her homo-hostile blog post from the late 2000s. Massa Maddow and the other heads of the Alphabet Mafia families, including Don Obama, Don Pelosi, Don Soros, and the Don of all Dons, Xi Jinping. Yeah, they made Reid an offer she couldn't refuse. They threatened to chop off her TV career if she maintained the belief she developed as a Christian. After initially claiming a hacker framed her as a believer, Reed eventually disavowed her religious upbringing and admitted that membership in the MSNBC occult was too lucrative to justify hanging on to outdated moral codes. She packed her bags and moved into Massa Maddow's big house, landing a coveted time slot in the important role of overseeing black culture and thought. Reed is a giant symbol of the rewards awaiting black women and their male idolaters for abandoning their religious views in favor of evangelizing for the Democratic Party and the Alphabet Mafia. Joy Reid has no discernible broadcasting skill. Broken glass is smoother than her delivery. Her ideas and point of view are Twitter deep. Al Sharpton has better hair than the endless array of weaves Reid has imported from G. Jinping's private stock. Joy Reid earns a seven-figure salary and talks to America during prime time. No wonder women have all lost respect for all men. Can't you envision Joy Reid, Jamel Hill, and Don Lemon on a girl's night out laughing at Judas? Jim, there's a girl. Judas settled for 30 pieces of silver. 
That's laughable. I got the real bag. If you're going to sell out, you got to get the bag for real, for real. For real, for real? That's the kind of conversation. Seriously, they, they sit around laughing. I'm, I'm listening to you, baby. Troy Reed don't have a lick of talent in making millions of dollars. Judas got all sold out for cheap, 30 pieces of silver compared to the kind of deals that are getting cut today. I bring all this up because this week, Joy Reid has had to earn her salary. There's trouble in the big house. The rapper and singer Nicki Minaj disobeyed the commission. She publicly expressed vaccine hesitancy, which pissed off the Don of all Dons and the other heads of the Great Reset families. Via Pravda, I mean Twitter, Minaj shared a story about a man allegedly having a bad reaction to the vaccine. His testicles allegedly swelled. He became impotent and his fiance dumped him. This all allegedly happened in Trinidad where Minaj's family hails. Minaj said she still, she's still researching and debating whether to get the vaccine. She advised her 22 million followers to pray and make sure they're comfortable with their vaccine decision and not bullied. It's an extremely responsible, reasonable position to take. Unless you're a member of the Hollywood occult and alphabet mafia. Occult members are instructed to avoid thinking and prayer. They're told to follow and obey. The commission ordered Reed to lash Minaj in front of other occult members. On Tuesday, Reed promptly attacked Minaj on MSNBC. Minaj fired back via social media, setting off a week-long war that included air support from Fox News host Tucker Carlson, Team Nikki, and CNN's Don Lemon, Team Joy, and Comedy Central's Trevor Noah, Team Joy. Carlson's support of Minaj sparked the typical alphabet mafia response. Carlson's racist, and if a racist says water is wet, then water is really dry. Minaj, to my surprise, stood firm, tweeting, right, I can't speak to, agree with, even look at someone from a particular political party. People aren't human anymore. If you're black and a Democrat tells you to shove marbles up your ass, you simply have to. If another party tells you to look out for that bus, stand there and get hit. Last night, from the front porch of Massimato's big house, Reed blasted Minaj for garnering the backing of conservative pundits. Reed labeled Carlson and The Daily Wire's Ben Shapiro as anti-vax right-wing bomb throwers. I believe Carlson is vaccinated. Shapiro is a strong proponent of the vaccine. Reed has been instructed to frame anyone who is hesitant about mandating the vaccine as a racist Trump supporter. Reed doesn't think. She does what she's told. She's owned by the alphabet mafia. The fact that black people, the most obedient members of the Democratic Party, are America's most vaccine hesitant, is lost on Joy Reid. She took to the airwaves Thursday night and ranted about how Carlson and Shapiro are using Minaj the way Massa Maddow uses Reed. Mm, 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 but what people like Tuckums and the Ben Shapiros and other right-wing bomb throwers want is not Nicki Minaj to have free speech. 
What they want is a vehicle to drag as many of her fans into their anti-vax camp as they can. They need and crave authentic members of the culture, hip hop culture. Let's just be clear. They look down on that culture and hate that culture and would never, ever, ever support someone like Nicki Minaj other than to pull her onto their team. Case in point, Laura Ingraham once criticized President Obama for just meeting with Ms. Minaj, citing the profanity in her lyrics. But they need her right now. And let's not forget the freak out the right had over the WAP lyrics by Cardi B and Megan Thee Stallion or Little Nas X for giving the devil a lap dance in a music video. The right has no use for people in the culture until they're useful for the purposes of hurting people in the culture. Jim, that her defense or her attack on Nicki Minaj or her attack on Tucker Cross, oh, the culture, and they only need the culture. She's defending this culture. This is a grown woman, allegedly Ivy League educated. At one time, she professed to be some sort of Christian before any of this craziness. And here she is, little nasty X-rated, the rapper. He built a following among young children with the song Old Town Road. He's now making music videos featuring prison sex, prison shower scenes, and descending to hell to ride the devil's rod. And Joy Reid is on national TV proclaiming it a culture worth defending? Somebody help me out here. I mean, I mean she's on TV defending this and little Nas X, this is somehow, somehow giving him the devil a lap dance in a video when your following is built around kids. This woman at one point espoused some religious Christian views. And now she's on national TV as if little Nas X is descending into hell to give the devil a lap dance is somehow something worthy of defense. And oh my God, I can't believe these white people objected to this. That's, that's a, a defense of Tucker Carlson. Anybody with a brain would object to this. Anybody with any moral fiber would object, object to this but not a high priestess in a satanic cult. That's what Joy Reid is. Mm. She went from homo hostile blog post to Jesus, a Jesus hostile television show. Jim, I hope it's worth the money because that's selling out. Ouch.